Hey, one more thing before you go. Does voodoo really exist? What happens when you confront a Haitian voodoo high priest? Can you actually see the devil in the flames sent to you by that high priest? We're going to answer these questions and more when we have a conversation with a woman who experienced the supernatural and voodoo up close and personal. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. According to The Conversation, an academic journal, voodoo, as practiced in Haiti and by the black diaspora in the United States, South America, and Africa, it is a religion based on ancestral spirits and patron saints. Known as voodoo, V-O-D-O-U, in Haiti, the religion has also served as a form of resistance against the French colonial empire. A religion born out of struggle, Haitian voodoo, V-O-D-O-U, was born from the blending of Catholicism, Western and Central African spirituality. As a real estate investor in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, Linda Gunter and her husband were faced with homelessness, drugs, and prostitution daily in the community that they lived in. They opened a shelter which addressed these issues, but eventually closed. But it also allowed them to reimagine those efforts and to love him, love them, which became their new ministry in Northeast Georgia, including an after-school program, jail ministry, providing foster children, hosting community activities, and more. In 2004, a tragic event occurred that left five children who just happened to be Haitian without a mom and dad. So on the 17th day of the seventh month of the year 2007, Linda's family grew from the size of two to seven, with children ranging in the age from seven to 17. Because of their new Haitian children, the Gunters were soon to have an encounter in Haiti that would change their lives and the ministry forever. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I want to get up and dance to that music. <laughs> I love that yeah. intro. It's, you know, I got really, really, really lucky in finding that. I was going through music, going through music, going through music, and I just happened to find one that in the in the song says, hey. Hey, like, yeah. <laughs> that was made for me. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Absolutely made for me. The only way I, I agree to continue is if you promise you're not going to arrest me before the end of the show. Well, it, it depends. I, I guess there's a caveat there. <laughs> it would depend <laughs> upon really what you did and where they're buried. Okay. Well, my lips are sealed. Your lips are sealed. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of one of those things where my you always, as a cop, you always when they say, "What do you do for a living?" You kind of think for a moment. You look around and you judge the room, and then you then you say, "Well, I'm, I'm a I'm a community uh, community enforcement agent of some type." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I love the way you say it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I I collect. Uh, I collect things. <laughs> I collect bad guys is what I collect. Funny. So um, you've had an amazing journey in your life. I know that uh, you uh, are a CEO, you're an entrepreneur, you, you've uh, sold into houses, and uh, you've run a, a homeless shelter, which is like an amazing feat. I've dealt with homeless shelters in my career, and um, you know they're very difficult to manage and difficult to to kind of keep it funded as well as, I'm sure, heartbreaking 
in in many cases. Um, but you also have taken trips to Haiti, which the majority of us have only really seen on TV in mm -hmm. some of the things that have happened there. But I would like to tell your journey because you have an amazing one getting to where you're at now. Wow. Yeah. Well, so don't give me any credit for the homeless shelter, because if you read our first book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops, you'll see that uh, basically that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> was very completely totally against it standing on the front porch of one of our houses on jones street in vine city and a lady came up with everything she owned in a grocery cart it was on a very hot day in august and basically told me that uh she wanted to stay in this house that we were renovating and i said what do you mean you want to stay i was like this is we're, we're, we're renovating the property it's not even ready yet you know and she said no i need a place to stay and i said it's not ready i said you she said well i'm homeless I said, well, you need to go find a homeless shelter. And she said, they're mm -hmm. all full. And I said, that's a lie. There's no way. In my mind, you, homeless shelters were only full if it was cold outside <laughs> and it was hot. So I was like, I said, there's no way it's full. And she said, yeah. So I, this was back in the day with Blackberry. Mm -hmm. So I pulled up my Blackberry, rolled my little ball around and found the homeless shelter dispatch and called. And I said, hey, I've got a homeless person here. And she, you know, she needs a place to stay. And the lady on the other end of the phone said, um, well, we're all full. Oh, wow. I was like, how can you be full? It's it's the middle of August. And she said, we're full. I said, well, what am I supposed to do with her? I said, she's standing here in front of me with a, a grocery cart with everything she owns. And the lady on the other end of the phone said, I don't know, I guess you need to open a homeless shelter. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And I took my Blackberry and acted like I was hanging it up. And right about that time, my husband walked out. He was the one in charge of all the renovations on the houses. And he was like, what are you doing? arguing with this lady in a grocery cart. And I said, I said, she wants a place to stay. I said, I told her it's not ready yet. He goes, let her stay. That'll be a great idea. She can help us out and make sure nobody vandalizes the house. And it'll be nice to have somebody here. I was like, really? Fast forward, uh, we turned that into a homeless shelter. That An works. amazing shelter. It ended up looking like the White House. We had a red room, a green room, a blue room. A, uh, my mother-in-law handmade the curtains for it. Uh, we were, um, we had the best outings in the world. Everybody, we had a standing, just a standing list of people wanting to get into our shelter because wow. like our outings were jet ski rides on the lake and <laughs> it was ridiculous. Holy smokes. Yeah. I and see. about six months later, uh, I went to this, I don't know, some kind of an event for people who have homeless shelters or whatever. And I was sitting beside this lady at a dinner and all of a sudden I heard this voice and I was like, man, that voice sounds so familiar. And I looked over and I said, I introduced myself and I was like, you know, what do you do? And she was like, oh, I'm the one that handles the dispatch for all the homeless shelters. And I was like, really? I called you about six months ago and I told her the story and she was like, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I've given that response to three people and all wow. three people have opened shelters. And I was like, that is insane. That's so, amazing, actually. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Whole, the homeless, obviously it's a problem in any city that you live in, but you know, I'm sure in Atlanta, in that area has got to be, I mean, how, how long? Oh, was it, it was unbelievable. But the really cool part about it was, basically we didn't realize it, but we were in training then for what we were gonna do now. Uh, and because we flipped, I mean, we were kind of the Chip and Joanna Gaines before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines. We could have had our own show. But the really cool part about having that as the shelter was we were literally able to take people through that were homeless and owner and provide them homes. So, I mean, we would yeah, either rent cool. them because we had so many homes. So we were either available to rent them a home or we could owner finance them a home uh, and our 
Uh, we were funding this thing ourselves with our friends so we could pretty much do whatever we wanted. Uh, we our, our philosophy was they needed Jesus and they needed jobs and we were able to give them both. And that's where uh, one of my very best friends came in to the picture because we were flipping houses. One day uh, we went to look at a house in Grant Park and she and her husband were walking out of one of the properties. And uh, I literally stuck my head out of the sunroof because I don't like to waste time. And I stuck my head out and I was like, hey, you guys going to buy this property? Because it was obvious they were investors. I was like, if you're going to buy it, I don't want to waste my time getting out of the car. And she basically looked at me like that what is that crazy white lady doing yelling at us? Right. And so uh, from that, we became very, very good friends. And she ended up being, she was a mortgage broker and she ended up being who handled the uh, finances for the girls in the homeless shelter. So she taught them how to open a bank account. She taught them how to budget. She taught them anything and everything about money. And that lady ended up being the mother of five of my children. So there's quite a story there also. That's amazing how that all interconnects. And people forget that, you know, we're all, we all have a connection if you really think about it. And it can happen at any time when that connection, Ooh. you know. You are so correct about that. I can't tell you how many times I've thought on that one day, had I stopped to get a Diet Coke or to go to the bathroom, uh, just, you know, 35 seconds. Uh, 35 seconds would have changed everything in my life right now because she would have been in her car and would have been leaving and what we have today and what we're doing today would not have been. So you're right. Divine interventions happen all the time. Yep. We need to have our eyes open and prepared for what's going to happen and who we're going to meet. 100%. Um, yeah. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. Sure. Where'd you grow up? Where'd I grow up? Athens, grow Georgia, home of the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Just left a, a football game last Saturday. Uh, went to uh, Clark Central High School. Just actually saw, a, I was at a funeral of a good friend of mine's mother last week. Got to see a bunch of those girls that I went to high school with um, and went from there and started at University of Georgia. Uh, my whole plan for my life was I was going to be an attorney. So I was going to go to law school become, uh, actually, I wanted to take Sandra Day O'Connor's place as a Supreme Court justice. So I was going to go to law school, become a lawyer, a judge, and then take her, take her place. And uh, that did not happen. Instead, I ended up graduating from Florida State University and went directly uh, and then got my master's in economics and ended up being a real estate investor. <laughs> from, from real estate, well, from Supreme Court to real estate investor, that's a journey yeah. within itself. Well, now I look today at all of the trouble the Supreme Court justices are having, and I think, wow, I'm sure glad I didn't do that, right? Holy smokes. Yeah, this, this, the environment is uh, a little tumultuous. I'd have to call and hire you to come stand out in front of my house. Yeah, hire me to come out in front of my house, or we make a show out of it, see? Almost like the- One or the other. Yeah, the, they should do that. The, uh, the Supreme Court justices of, forgive me for not knowing this, where's the Supreme Court? In D.C. That's what I thought. I, yeah. I had to think for a second. And I went, wait a minute, is it, is it not? We'll call it the Supreme Court Justices of D.C. Yeah. Almost like the Housewives of Orange County or, exactly. or any of those others. Yeah, that might work. Exactly. We'll have to, we'll have to get co-producer credit on that, though. We, we just have to. <laughs> um, so you, uh, obviously, your direction in life took a little bit of a turn. What was your family like? Like your, your parents, what kind of environment did you grow up in? So my dad was uh, worked at the University of Georgia. He was a food scientist and he traveled all over the world. 
he was responsible for lots of things that Chick-fil-A did. His, uh, his specialty was poultry, seafood, and rabbits. So anything that happened with poultry, seafood, and rabbits all around the world, he was the specialist that they called in. And uh, one Sunday at a, uh, in his Sunday school class, somebody brought up a prayer request about a man that didn't have a place to live. And so my dad decided to buy him a mobile home. That was the beginning of his real estate career. Uh, and so I ended up buying my first rental property when I was 16 years old. That's what we used to do for fun on Saturdays was go wow. fix up houses or go collect rent. Uh, my dad was also the music director at our church. My mom played the piano. My mom was a stay at home mom. And I am the oldest of three girls. So I have two younger sisters. Uh, I was a majorette in high school. I was very, very involved in high school. I got most, most spirited, was always at all of the games, doing lots of fun things. Uh, but the majority of our life revolved around church. So if the doors were open, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I ended up uh, because I sang, I ended up getting all of the specials for the choir. My dad would let me sing whatever I wanted. <laughs> that ended up backfiring on him because, uh, my first year in college for spring break, I went with the Baptist Student Union from the University of Georgia. We went to Myrtle Beach. And by the time I came back, I had a job with the band that was playing in the uh, nightclub in the Holiday Inn. Yeah, very, <laughs> the lead female vocalist. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was interesting, right? Yeah, that would be a nice, wait a minute, I didn't want you to do that. I just wanted you to yeah, do that. Yeah, what happened? Yeah, I've been there, kind of been there, done that. Yeah, it's like my dad or my mother would say, wait, no, 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 that wasn't the original plan. <laughs> yeah, my mom will be 85 years old tomorrow. She lives with me. She's upstairs. And to this day, if you mention the word band, she just says, oh, that band, <laughs> that band you went with, Linda. <laughs> oh, happy birthday, mama. Yeah. That's uh, Where did you meet your husband? Excuse me. Where did I meet my husband? I met my husband at the Embassy Suites in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and that was actually our very first date. And on our very first date, we made a deal at a very, it was a very, very I'm, nice restaurant. I'm going to stop you right there because okay. as a cop, I hear Holiday Inn. I hear first Embassy Suites. Deal. <laughs> made a deal. So be careful. Be careful how the conversation goes. There was a little girl running through this really nice west restaurant with white tablecloths, candlelight, and uh, she had a naked Barbie doll and she was shaking the Barbie doll. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of them. And, he, and so we literally put our hands across the table and made a deal. And David, when David tells the story, he's like, on our first date, she's talking about kids. You know, how ridiculous is that? Um, and now to fast forward and look at where we're at today and the children that we're responsible for now, it's really hilarious. Yeah, I, yeah, you. I mean, I, I have to say this because I, again, grew up in a dysfunctional family, and and coming from a law enforcement background where I dealt a lot with homelessness, and um, like earlier what we said the prostitution and the homelessness and the crime and everything associated with what people go through on the street, and you um, literally grew up with taking a proactive approach to helping some of those people in difficult situations to move forward in their lives in a, in a positive way. And you gave them the compassion and the humanity that um, many, many, many overlook. So 
Thank you. Yeah. For doing and you know, that. when you get to hear their story and even today, I mean, and I'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later, but I mean, Thanksgiving is right around the corner and, you know, we'll feed 5,000 people throughout the oh. entire state of Georgia, this Thanksgiving, uh, homeless and homebound individuals. And, and, you know, we just really specialize in that. It's, I mean, I don't get paid. I'm a volunteer. It's not like we do this for a living, but it just, it's almost like a gift that God has given us to be able to take people from homeless to a home uh and you know everybody's story is different some people don't want a home some people need a home and they just have a, a problem that you know their car broke down they lost their job one thing led to another and when we run into those people it's really very simple for us to put them on like a three six month program and get them back to where they need to be you know my my prayer would be that if that ever happened to me that somebody would come along that would be willing to help me do that you know it's you know life's hurt life well, as we continue to say, life can change in this that you never know. Yeah, but for the happen. grace of God, there goes by. So the thing Me. of it is, is that, um, you know, if we all reached out with the same kind of hand um, in compassion and humanity, you know, some things uh, might change across the, the world, actually, not just the United States, but across the world. Um, which, well, you know, the name of our ministry is Love Him, Love Them. That's what's on all of our bracelets, all of our jewelry, love him, love them. And really, truly, that is the Bible in one sentence. If everybody would just do that one thing, that one sentence, the world would be a different place. I, I agree with you in that regard. Um, how'd you end up in Haiti? How do I end up in Haiti? So the lady that I, if I had waited 35 seconds longer to go to that, look at that house in Grant Park, I would never have met. Uh, she and I became very, very good friends. She was a mortgage broker. So she and I did lots and lots of deals together. And uh, she, again, like I said before, helped us with the homeless shelter. She ended up opening another homeless shelter, uh, a little bit different angle on hers was with the court systems, but we uh, worked together all the time. When I met her, she had two children and uh, she <laughs> shared with me I didn't realize she was Haitian. I just thought she was black. I didn't understand this. I didn't even know where Haiti was. And in one of our lunch conversations, she told me that her husband had two other children in the country of Haiti and that she had been, uh, she, they had been sending money over for those children to be taken care of. And uh, that she had decided that she was going to go get them. And I said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. I mean, why would you go to a country that I was like, you don't, you might be Haitian, but you're Haitian American. You don't speak the language. You don't, I, I don't understand what you're going to do with them. And they're not really your kids. And that's weird. And so she didn't listen to me. She went and got them anyways. And so then bam, she went from two kids to four kids. And then the next thing you know, she was pregnant. And I literally, she and her husband were having some difficulties at that time. And I literally was the person at the hospital when that last child came, I actually ended up naming that last child. And now she's got five kids. Well, in 2004, to make a very long story short, which is completely in our first book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops, I got a phone call at about five o'clock in the morning that her husband had taken an AK-47 and had shot and killed her. And then he turned around and picked up a knife and he killed her mother. So her five children and five minutes witnessed and watched the loss of their mother, their father, and their grandmother. And those children fell through, you'll get this, the police, they ended up at the police station with just what they had on and their dog and they kind of fell through the defects cracks. This happened on a Saturday and by Sunday afternoon, they were in New York 
uh, living with my friend's dad, uh, who had just lost his wife and his daughter at the hand of his son-in-law. Well, he was 78 years old at the time. Small world. Small world. Yeah. So he had just, uh, he was 78 years old and you talk about your life changing in an instant. Uh, that one phone call was life changing for me in an instant. But the next phone call I got a few years later was from my friend's dad who had only met at the double funeral. I went up to New York for the funeral and he said that he had uh, found out he was terminally ill and he had looked all over Haiti, all over France, anywhere they had relatives and had tried to find someone to take in the children and that he couldn't find anybody. So he said, you know, Linda, you're my last phone call. And if you don't take the kids, we're going to have to split them up and put them in foster care. And my immediate response was, dude, <laughs> you picked the wrong chick to make the last phone call to because I don't have any kids. I don't, I don't even like kids. And I, I mean, I don't know what in the world do you think I'm going to do with, with your five Haitian kids? I mean, I, I don't even have a car big enough for five kids, right? I'm driving a Jaguar. I got a real estate business. I'm running all these businesses. I, I don't even have a car that I could even transport them in. And my husband overheard the phone call and he looked at me and very gently reminded me that James 127 says in the Bible, James 127, it's the Bible verse says real religion that God himself considers pure and faultless is this to care for the orphans and the widows who are in a hot mess. And I argued back with him and told him I wasn't Jesus <laughs> and I didn't care because I, I didn't want five kids. I still don't want five kids. Now I have 12 kids, but that's fast forwarding. So anyways, uh, to make a very long story short, as you said in the introduction on the 17th day of the seventh month of the year 2007, the family living in my house in Gumlog, Georgia, went to the size of seven with children the ages of seven to 17. And so like every girl dreams of, I got to trade in my Jag for a minivan, right? <laughs> so That's the, that is the dream. That is the dream. I, if I'd had a Jag, I would change it in for that one. Yes, I would. Yeah. So you asked, how did we go to Haiti? Again, I mean, everything comes out of me being mad about something, right? So I had had the kids for a couple of years and I just really didn't think they were very grateful. I didn't think they were, I didn't think they appreciated it. I mean, and, and the, the biggest time of the year that it seemed that way was Christmas. Everybody treated my kids like victims and I hated that. So we would go places for hours and open gifts at Christmas. And I just, I just didn't like it. So I ran my home by uh, meetings, Robert's Rules of Order. We had family meetings. And at our November 2011 family meeting, I made a motion. And I said, I make the motion that this Christmas, nobody gets anything. And instead, we're going to take all the money that we would normally use on Christmas. And we're going to go to Haiti. We're going to go back to where you guys came from. We're going to find an orphanage and we're going to spend all the money on that orphanage. And with Robert's rules of order, you have to have a second before you can have some discussion. And I, I couldn't get a second to, I mean, they were like, are you out of your mind? Do you know how many gifts we get at Christmas? We're not giving that up. It is Christmas. Yeah. So finally my youngest daughter bought in Jazzy and she was like, okay, I'm in, I'll go. So, 2011, the year after that devastating earthquake that killed millions of Haitians, my very white husband, our five little Haitian kids and myself get on a plane 
and go to the country of Haiti. And we had, I mean, my intentions were for them to be grateful. And instead, God completely rocked my world. I uh, saw things I'd never seen. I, and I mean, I'd worked in the in mm-hmm. Vine City. I mean, Vine City is pretty rough. But I saw things I'd never seen. I smelled things I'd never smelled. And it messed me up. That would have a tendency to do that. Do you speak French? Mm-hmm. Parlez-vous français? I didn't then. I do now. Do and that. most of the people that we deal with in Haiti don't speak French. Uh, they speak Creole. So mm-hmm. I'm parle Creole Haitian. Do you speak that pretty well now? Uh, well enough to know if my kids are talking bad about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I learned Italian from my brother-in-law, the first words he taught me were the good words. We'll call them the good words. <laughs> yeah, right. I, don't I, can, I can, I can, I will tell you this though, when I'm in Haiti and I, I, I mean, up until our president was assassinated last year, I was there two weeks, two to three weeks out of every month. But the, the, uh, translators that travel with me, I would say it in Creole and then they would say it in Creole. And I was like, dude, I just said that. He's like, yeah, but you didn't say it the right way. The right way. <laughs> so. That's funny. You may have said it, but not the right way. Thank you. That's funny. Um, after your trip there, in fact, wait a minute, let me back up here. At what point did you come in contact with, or you, what was your, one of your experiences in regard to, um, because everybody's got to ask this, you're in Haiti, and uh, we all think this is where this originated from, but um, did you run into any voodoo or anything wrong with well, that? Well, voodoo, I, I didn't understand that it was voodoo. But just for the record, and for all my Haitian friends, voodoo did not originate in Haiti. It originated in Africa. And the African slaves that were brought in by the French is who brought the voodoo to Haiti. So let's just, we'll clear that slate first of all. So and if, if any of my cool. Haitian friends see this, tell me, hey, hey voodoo's not Haitian. Uh, I had no idea what uh, voodoo was. Uh, and it wasn't until, okay, so let me just back up a little bit. One of the things that we did on our very first trip was we were taken to a makeshift orphanage that had 30 children there. 30 kids who had basically lost their primary caregivers in the earthquake. And this they, they ended up at this guy's house who was a music teacher. And so they, they felt safe there. They knew him from the neighborhood. And so uh, we were taken there because they didn't have any support. They didn't have anything. So while we were there, the... Uh, the kids that were there, we, we walked up with the suitcase. We had a lot of miracles that came out of this suitcase. And while we were there, the gentleman that ran the place wanted the kids to sing for us. They sang for me on Christmas day, 2011. And I lost my mind. I saw kids with no running water, no electricity, no Christmas tree, no gifts, except what we had brought them. And they had a joy that I, I couldn't wrap my mind around. I kept, I kept looking at them and thinking, they must not know what they don't have because what are they so happy about? Right. I mean, I'd seen kids choirs in America singing and you, you know, you'd have to, you'd see the director up there going, smile, smile, smile. But no, these kids were singing like with this joy. And I literally felt like at that moment, I felt like Jesus Christ himself tapped me on the shoulder and said, Linda, this is the joy of the Lord. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what material things you have or don't have, you can still have the joy of the Lord. And Linda, you ain't got it, (laughs) right? Linda, your joy comes from when everything goes the way you want it to go. When your husband does exactly what you want him to do. When these new kids you got handle things the way you want them handled. So I, I left that orphanage that day, a completely different person. 
And when I walked out, I told the guy that brought us there, I said, you know, somebody ought to bring these kids to the United States. I said, you're probably not going to believe this, but everybody I know in the United States, they have running water. They have electricity. Matter of fact, most of my friends have everything they want, but they're not happy. They don't have joy. And so that was what proceeded for me to bring those children to the United States, which was a complete nightmare. It was an unbelievable situation. Every single person I reached out to, every organization that had any footprint in Haiti that I shared my vision with told me I was an idiot. They didn't know whose money I was spending, but that the Haitian government and the United States government would never work together to allow me to bring an entire orphanage from Haiti to the United States. And on top of that, to, at that point in time in this world, you had to have a visa to come to the United States. To get a visa, you had to have a passport. To have a passport, you had to have a birth certificate. To have a birth certificate, you had to have a birthday. And we're dealing with 30 kids that literally were pulled out from underneath the rubble of the earthquake. It, they didn't know their birthdays. Their parents were gone. The entire administration in Haiti had gone defunct. And that's the level we started at to bring these kids to America. However, in 2016, all 30 of those children got on a Delta flight with Mommy Linda, and we came to America and we sang from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to the White House. It was then on that very first tour that some really weird things started happening. I was the bus driver. I was also the speaker and I was the one that ran the concerts. So I saw everything that happened on the bus. And the very first experience I had was there was a child laying in the middle of the aisle of the bus while I was driving. And the gentleman who ran the orphanage, we had brought the mother and father of the orphanage with us, was sitting in the seat right beside her and what appeared to be an epileptic seizure to me. And so when I finally could see what was happening, I literally squealed the bus over it. I think it was a CVS parking lot and I ran in while I was running in to try to get help and calling 911. The musicians that we had brought with us, who were the older boys, came running in beside me and they said to me, Mommy Linda, what's happening on that bus has nothing to do with her health. You need to understand that is voodoo. That is a demonic manifestation. And I looked at them like they were aliens. <laughs> I said, mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you're talking about. I'm going to get help. So sure enough, I run in, the pharmacist comes out, they have a um, stethoscope, they go in, they check out the girl that's on the floor, who's completely unconscious at the time that I left. They check her out and the lady looks at me and says, she obviously just wants attention. There's nothing medically wrong with her. And I said, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. Those type of things continued to happen to us for the entire first round of that tour. And they were always able to be explained away. Then things got really strange. Was that with the same person that they continued to happen or others? Four kids. Four kids. Four kids. So then we had a choir house. And that choir house was where when we were close enough to my home, that's where we were housed. Otherwise, we, we were with host families as we traveled. But starting at about 12 o'clock midnight, all of a sudden we would get, I would start to get phone calls from our choir interns to say that these very strange things were happening. And some, I mean, the kids from Haiti are very tiny. 
the girls were very tiny, right? I mean, a 16 year old girl from Haiti might look like an 11 or a 12 year old American girl. And we had instances where my husband and four or five other grown large men were being thrown up against the wall by what looked like maybe an 80 pound 12 year old girl. Wow. Um, and so the strength, the strange things that happened. Okay. So we, I went through this, uh, we had neurologists involved. I had, uh, medical doctors involved. We had epileptic seizure people involved. We had, I mean, we went through every medical channel we could have. And so finally at the end of the first tour, um, I went back at, to Haiti and on that trip back, those music, those same musicians had another conversation with me. And they said, Mommy Linda, you need to understand that there's a lot of people that are not very happy that you've brought these children to America. They think that you should have brought them and they're the voodoo people. And I was like, what? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. What do you mean the voodoo people? This sounds like a dang movie, right? He said, yeah. And on top of that, the reason you brought them here was to share the love of Jesus. And that's completely against what voodoo people do. And they said, you need to understand that before we left the orphanage, those voodoo people came to our orphanage and they told us that they have a brand new way now that they know how to astral project and they know how to make bad things happen. And even if we were in the United States, those bad things were still going to happen. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, do you know who this person is or are you just making this up? So they told me the name of the man. They said his name, the head voodoo priest's name was Jeremy. And so I said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And we get back to Haiti. And while I'm dropping the kids off at the orphanage, and I'm about to head back to the guest house. I go in to, uh, to talk to the people that are running the orphanage. And I said, look, do you know somebody named uh, Jeremy? And their eyes got about this big, which also the musicians said too. I said, you know what? I want to talk to this Jeremy guy. And they were like, oh, mommy, Linda, you would never do that. Nobody in Haiti would go and talk to him. He didn't even come himself. He sent people. He's the head, right? You, you can't, you can't go talk to him. I said, oh, I'm going to talk to him, <laughs> right? So when I asked the, the man that ran the orphanage, I was like, do you know Jeremy, somebody that does voodoo? And their eyes just got so big. And I said, listen, I'm taking the kids to the beach tomorrow in Haiti. And when I get back here tomorrow night, I want him here. And they were like, there's no way we would allow him to come here. He's extremely powerful. So you can get our book, Choir of Angels. You've got it posted over here in the bottom to hear the entire story. But suffice it to say this, Christmas 2017, which was the end of that second tour, not only did I go face to face with Jeremy, but I literally walked in, in the middle of what they call devil showers. Devil showers are done between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. <laughs> walked into his establishment and I ended up saving probably I want to say there were 15 kids, 15 to 20 kids in line with their moms, their moms who had brought them to him to do the demonic, the, the uh, voodoo spells on them that they call devil showers to protect, to protect them for the new year. You can also see pictures in our book of what happened when I met Jeremy. You can see the, the, uh, <laughs> You can see the demons. You can wow. see the demons in the fire 
uh, uh, one of the fire where I was actually burning uh, the stuff, you can literally see. And I didn't realize that you could see that until I came back and I was putting this book together. I can't, I can't find the actual page right now. But when I was putting the, the book together and putting the pictures in there, it st stood out. And I showed it to some of our, uh, some of our choir members at that time. And they're like, oh yeah, we know who that, we know who he is. He's been at, so. We know who the demon short, is? Oh yeah. That's what oh, they yeah, were saying. Like, we know who the demon is? Names. Oh yeah, they have names and they show up at the events. Oh, it, this is not, it's not what I thought it was. It's like for real, for real. I've seen it now with my own eyes. I've experienced it. And the issue was those four children that were in the choir mm -hmm. that we kept what I mean, I'll tell you another funny story about this. You might may or may not think it's funny, but those four kids were literally raised up prior to the earthquake. They were raised up in voodoo families to become the new, the new head, like the new head of the ministry, Whoa. the voodoo princesses, Whoa. right? Yeah. Let me tell you. So after I finally figured out how to deal with this, now now I know how to cast out demons. Right. Okay. So you got a demon, you can call Mommy Linda now. That, but there's a long process in between these two stories, right? So let me tell you about the final tour. This is a hilarious story. One of our youngest girls, Seema, she was one of the, there, we had four little kids that were on the tour that were four, five, six, and seven. So I think on the last tour, she was seven. Now, listen, these kids, see so much demonic stuff you can have people flying around astral projecting levitating and they'll sit there in color Whoa. literally sit there in color because it just doesn't even face them right it's like everyday so common practice for them it's just yeah, like ingrained so in common them. i mean they've seen people turn into animals they've seen people astral project it's literally like it's like the way our kids here in america watch it on movies Right. But they're watching it in real life. In real life. I mean, Whoa. this stuff is real. It's not anything to play with. And yet we have people who profess that they love their children and they're watching Hocus Pocus and Harry Potter and huh, it's crazy. But I want to tell you this funny story. So I told you I was the bus driver. So I'm driving the bus. We left a, a concert really, really late at night. We were trying to make it back to the uh, to Hartwell, Georgia, to the choir house. And all of a sudden, one of my choir interns comes running up and she our code word for when a manifestation was happening was, uh, we're gonna call this girl Bianca. Bianca, Bianca's sick. Mommy Linda, Bianca's sick. So one of the choir girls comes up and she's like, Mommy Linda, Bianca is sick, Bianca's sick. And I was like, well, go back there and pray. I was like, you know, you know what to do. You know, how to, no, we've been praying. We've been praying for like 35 minutes and nothing's happened. So I pull, I whip the bus into this, uh, to this first Baptist church in this town in Georgia, whip it into the parking lot. And I was really mad at this point because I was like, this is ridiculous. We should be done with this. And, and uh, I'm tired and I wanted to get home and here I got to go deal with this demonic thing. And so I, I just crawl through the way the bus was. I didn't have to open the door and I crawl through and I go back and all the little kids sit up in the front with me. So I had to make it all the way to the back of the bus. And literally this girl is levitating above the seats. I mean, the musicians are trying to hold her down and push her down and they can't get her down. So I go back there and, and I start to pray and I'm like, you know, you got to go. You got to leave. You got to go. Get out. Get out. Go. And I'm <laughs> Sema comes back and starts pulling on my T-shirt. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me, right? I'm trying to cast a demon out. And I, Mommy Linda, Mommy Linda. And I'm like, I turned around and part of me wanted to smack her. And the other part wanted to say, you know, 
Seema, are you really kidding? And by the time I turned around, the expression on her face, she was so serious. And she looked up at me and she said, Mommy Linda, you keep telling that demon to go, but you forgot to open the bus door. Why don't you just go open the door? And again, I was like, am I really hearing this? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Right? But the look on her face was so intense. And I thought to myself, you know what? I wouldn't mind having a break anyway. So I turned around and I walk up to the front and the way you open the door on that bus is just a little button, but all the kids knew they weren't allowed to touch it. So I go up and I push the button, turn around. I mean, and literally Seema just sits back down and starts coloring. I, I walk back past her and I go back and I do the exact same thing I had just done. And in three seconds, bam, Bianca drops to the seat. <laughs> Seema oh, turns nice. around and looks at me and yells down the aisle. And she's like, good job, Mommy Linda. Don't forget next time to open yeah. the door, okay? To told you. <laughs> told you. Told you. It's funny now, but it was not funny then. I'll tell no, you No, I mean, if you look into your rearview mirror of the bus and look back there and see somebody levitating. Oh, my kind gosh. Of tend to uh, readjust yeah. your uh, priorities while you're driving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I could tell you story after story after story. Uh, one quick, interesting story. I, the reason this is fresh in my mind, I just got back from Charleston last week. But there's a church in Charleston, South Carolina. It's called Mother Emanuel. Mother Emanuel is the church that Dylan Roof walked into and shot and killed the entire staff, right? And that was in, I think, 2014. We sang at that church. And when we sang there, I mean, the kids didn't know it because they, they weren't from here. They didn't have any idea about that. But we literally changed into our costumes in the room where Dylan shot and killed the entire staff. And I tell you what, we made it all the way through that service. But at the end of that service, we had one of the biggest demonic manifestations we've ever had. Inside 911 was called. Pardon me? Inside the church inside the church the pastor the pastor got up after we sang and started talking about family and wayward children and um yeah it, it was just unbelievable the whole the, there's a whole chapter about that in the book and it tells the thing and but 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 god won out on that 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 thing ended up what Satan meant for evil, God turned that around for good. It completely changed that entire congregation. The pastor told me he got up after the whole thing happened. 911 was there. They were taking her out. And again, nothing medically wrong with her, right? Nothing medically wrong with her. And the pastor literally got up at the end and he goes, you know what? I've been trying to teach you all about spiritual warfare for six months. All it took was Mommy Linda coming here and letting you see it in action. I mean, it, it was it was unbelievable. I so I can tell you stories today and you probably wouldn't, but you know, who, 30 people sat and watched funny. the whole thing. Crazy. Who are you going to call? Mommy Linda. Yeah, I just did a radio show on that. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. That's funny. Who are you going to call? Mommy Linda. You should get a little, uh, get a little uh, sticker, see? No, <laughs> I don't want, I want to stay as far away from it as I can. I tell you what, but you, you know, know what? This is pretty cool. Jeremy, I'll tell you, I am going to tell you a little bit of the end of the story. Jeremy is now, here we are, what, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, five years later. And Jeremy is one of the leaders in our church at DACO. Now, now Jeremy is, Was the head is back in Haiti or here? 
No, Jeremy's in Haiti. In Haiti. So yeah, from, but he was the main cause yeah, of, uh, of the majority of, of our issues during those first two choir tours. And I, I gave you a little sneak preview of it uh, about the, the situation right. with his daughter and the wedding. Yep. That, that story is a remarkable story. You know, we have two screenwriters that are uh, in competition right now for our first to, to combine our first two books into a movie. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is what has really happened in our lives is probably more fascinating because of the supernatural right. than what's in the theaters now of whatever people have made up. Uh, do, We've seen it for real. It, you know, it, it, it's, I've had a lot of conversations in regard to what's possibility on the other side, what, what exists on the other side. There are some that do not believe in demons that I've spoken with and some that do not believe in the evil entities. But I think, what's your opinion? Do Well, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. What matters is what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that what's happening in the supernatural <laughs> is actually more, there's more going on in the supernatural than there is that's going on in the natural. And so, I mean, that's biblical. I mean, there, there you know, why are prayers not answered sometimes? I mean, uh, Paul tells a story mm -hmm. about how they tried to come and it took 27 extra days because of the, the uh, war in the supernatural. I mean, there, there's that. I mean, if anybody really stops and thinks about it, you're hearing those voices constantly, right? Those voices right. that say, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. I mean, where's that coming from? Is that coming from the natural? No, that's coming from the supernatural because uh, the demonic realm is very real. I mean, and you can, you can talk to people. John Ramirez is a guy that uh, was a Satanist for 25 years. And and I mean, see, and none of this stuff. I couldn't. I couldn't have cared less about any of this stuff until I was living right in the middle of it. I mean, a little Baptist girl. I was raised Baptist, mm -hmm. and you know, here's the thing. We. I told you, I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I read the same Bible that I do today, but I never saw any of that stuff in the Bible. Never saw it, and it's all mm -hmm. right there. It's explained exactly what I dealt with is explained. But for some reason, I think Satan has our eyes uh, with fish scales over it. So that because he's a deceiver, he, he doesn't want all those people that you say, tell you that evil doesn't exist. That's exactly where Satan wants them. He wants us all to think he doesn't exist. Well, plus I, I, in, I'm a, and look, I, I used to be Catholic. I'm not Catholic any longer. Um, I'm a very spiritual individual. I believe in God. I believe in angels. I believe in the devil. I believe in evil. I believe in demons. I have seen demons um, personally. So I, I've, I've been in your shoes in certain aspects. Not voodoo style. <laughs> That's a little interesting mix. Um, but I have experienced it myself. So I, I, but I also wholeheartedly believe in angels. That's where the Catholic oh, yeah. Church well, that, and I that's where the that's where the demons came from. I mean, the the Bible tells us the whole story <laughs> that when Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. And if you read in Ephesians six, it tells you very specifically there are principalities, there are there's strategies. There, I mean, he's very very organized with exactly how he plays it all out. Uh, it so, and it and the Bible tells us that angels. Are ministering spirits to the saints so the angels are here to help us to protect us to to work that out but but that that battle in the spirit realm is real 
It uh, exists. Yeah, it definitely exists. 100%. Oh, absolutely it exists. And yeah. there's evidence of it. There's proof of it. There, are, I mean, our kids, many of our kids were seers and saw in the supernatural. <laughs> My well, that's, what that's what I was going to say. Kids, kids don't have their eyes closed as much. Um, no. Because in the beginning, we as adults, no matter what we see, I've talked to a lot of individuals that see spirits and talk to spirits, talk to people on the other side, talk to angels. And they, they bring up a very important point. We as children, as we grow up in a typical standard family here in the United States, every time you're in there having tea with your invisible friend, so to speak, and you tell them, don't do that. And you say that that's not real. That's just an invisible friend. Don't do that. Anytime they see something out of the ordinary or they're having a play friend or they're talking to somebody, they're going, who are you talking to? Parent says, and they say, I'm talking to my friend. And they're going, don't do that. There's nobody there. And I think that in many, many, many cases that there really is somebody there and that they oh, shouldn't yeah. blow that off because in reality, the children don't have their eyes closed except for their parents doing it or their grandparents doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. Many, many times we would walk into a church and Majin, Majin was four years old, four. And she would come out of the... <laughs> At the bathroom and say, Mommy Linda, there's a demon sitting up in the corner in the bathroom. And I was like, Well, yeah, we're at church. I think that's where they feel the safest, you know. <laughs> so uh, no. there was another church in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh my gosh. We spent the night there. We didn't actually sing there, but they were just trying to help us out. And literally one of the girls was missing. And I kept asking, Where is this? Where's this girl? Where is this girl? Where is this girl? And one of finally your girls. one of the other, one of our girls what, in the choir. In the choir. Yeah, let's call her Jane. So Jane was missing. So everybody was like, oh, Jane's outside. Jane's outside. And I was like, what is she doing outside? And I run outside halfway around the back of the church. And here she is talking to nobody. I see nobody with her. And she's talking and talking and talking. And I go running up and I'm like, Jane, what are you doing? She was like, I'm talking to this little boy. And I was like, okay, well, for right now, I need you to come back inside because we're about to leave. So we come back inside, we get back on the bus. And when we're leaving, there is a big black, huge bird up on the steeple. And another one of the girls in the choir goes, look, there's that little boy that came in and got some, came in and got Jane. Wow. And you I'm know, like, oh my gosh, you people are just blowing my mind. Many, I many times. Another, another incident in Alabama, I usually stayed in the host family with the younger girls and Merlanda, who is here with me now, we, 22 of those kids got the opportunity to come to America and stay. After our three tours, we brought oh, them back good. on student visas. So we literally have uh, kids all up and down the East Coast right now. I've got one, two, three, four, five or six here with me. Merlanda's actually upstairs. She just got home from school. But those kids uh, are, are currently here in school from sixth grade up to, I have sophomores, all the way up to sophomores in college. Wow. So their goal cool. is they're here now to become educated, to either get amazing jobs in the U.S. to help with the ministry, or they're going to go back to Haiti and help. Because we, we currently have six locations in Haiti. Wow. We have uh, over 5,000 children that we're responsible for. I want to just circle back to this because what we were doing at our homeless shelter in Atlanta, we're now doing in Haiti, right? So we bring the children in through the orphanage. And then when they're 18, they go to our transition home. 
And then uh, during the time they're at the transition home, they can be schooled in one of our schools or one of our vocational schools uh, where we teach them everything from, this is our jewelry line that I have on. This jewelry is made out of trash. Uh, yeah. And literally we have over 200 women that are employed making earrings, necklaces. Uh, we actually have a brand new Christmas ornament line just in time for Christmas, uh, snowflakes and stars and crosses and candy canes. And this is how we employ uh, a large number of our women in Haiti, or they can work. We, we opened a mm -hmm. hospital in the middle of a global pandemic while everything else was shutting down in the world in 2020, August of 2020, we opened a hospital in the country of Haiti. So, you know, we started this conversation off with the brutal, brutal murder of my very best friend, Myrna. And then from that murder, we ended up with her five kids. I would have never gone to Haiti, hmm. never. I wasn't a mission trip girl, right? I, I don't even understand people that go camping. Like, why do you work so hard all year to go live like a homeless person, right? But God had this all planned out for my life, not the plan I had. And matter of fact, it's about as opposite from it as you can possibly imagine. Do you know what they call me in Haiti? Dare I ask? Mommy Linda. Well, that's and and, you know, and that's an honor badge to wear, actually, because you. Yeah, but I never wanted to have any kids. The yeah, irony. Oh yeah, well, yeah, I guess that part's ironic here, yeah, because earlier you said I don't want any kids. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crazy. That and now your kids are worldwide. Um, the I find it very interesting. A couple of different things. First, it's brilliant the way that you've taken the opportunity for uh, a, a, a homeless shelter and turn it into an environment for people to be able to go through that as a human being, to say, I am still worth it, that I am an individual that somebody cares about and that somebody could love, and that we can move from there. We teach you how to take care of yourself. We put you into a position so that you don't, you won't end back up into a homeless shelter again. Right. This gives you the tools that you need to move forward in life in a very positive way. So that's brilliant. Well done that you that you've been able to accomplish that, especially in a foreign country, in in one such as Haiti, because I know that the government isn't always. I mean, no, I we're we're actually on lockdown right now. Yeah, Haiti's difficult. been on lockdown for five weeks. No gas, no food, no fuel, wow. no groceries, no bank. I mean, we lost our president uh, last July seventh yeah. to an assassination, and since then we've been under complete gang control. So yeah, and, and I think a, the guy uh, that the guy that took over when the, so the guy that took guy. over was implicated in the murder of yeah. the president. Yeah, well, he went and saw <laughs> yeah, himself. No yeah. Um, so yeah, it it now I I have to circle back to one thing because it, in all my conversations about um, the anything supernatural, paranormal, uh, I'm I've the the first one I'm kind of dumbfounded. Um, the amount of demons that hang out in churches. Yeah, that, that really intrigues me. How how can they? How do you do you have? Well, because most churches don't do what they're supposed to do. Most people that say they're believers, it's very difficult to find a believing believer. Right? A believing believer. Most people that are, I mean, it's it's really really sad. But the Bible does talk about how the way to heaven is very narrow, and only a few people are going to find it. I mean, I think a lot of people think church is a, is uh, they treat church like a social club. You know, it's some, that's what they do on what they did when they were growing up on Sundays. And that's what they continue to do. But as far as having an actual personal relationship with Jesus Christ, someone that they I mean, 
for most churches, this is, I mean, I'm in a different church every Sunday, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll speak at another church this Wednesday night. I was at three churches this past Sunday. I'll be very honest with you. Myself or the pastor could get up in the pulpit and pretty much say whatever they wanted. And whether it was in the Bible or not, the congregation would not know. So, I mean, and I'm not slamming Christians. No. Christians and Bible-believing believers is, is one thing. But just, you know, here's the deal. I can go upstairs right now. My husband just told me before he left. He just left for the airport. He said, hey, the wire's broken on the garage door. The garage door's not going to go up and down. So I can go stand in my garage, but that doesn't make me a car. Right. Right? So you can go stand or attend a church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. And furthermore, the, the church of Satan is the third fastest growing church in the United States. Do you know that? I did not know that. And one of the quickest ways that you're able to move up the ladder in the church of Satanism is to become a member of a Bible believing church. And the higher up that you can get into the ranking, if you can get on the finance team or on the board of directors, that moves you up faster into the church of Satan. Well, I didn't know that. So you yeah, I didn't just, know that. I, I yeah. do know that as a, as a DUI enforcement officer, believe it or not, I caught a very, a good portion of my DUIs were actually Sunday morning for those individuals go. that a good portion of my DUIs was actually in my team were Sunday mornings, uh, those individuals that stayed out and party till two in the morning and then got up and went to church at seven in the morning or six in the morning. And yep. they were on their way there so they could confess that they just stayed out all night partying, but they were still drunk when they went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I believe is, you 100%. You know, it's kind of one so, of those. Yeah, it's a... Um, I, I don't know what to say other than it's very sad. And the really sad part is, you know, there's a verse in, uh, in the Bible that tells us that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has come so that we can have life and have it abundantly and to the full. And there's so many people that are not living abundant, full lives because they're so caught up in, in some type of sin or in listening to the wrong voices. And, and that, that's why when you say that, you know, a lot of people don't believe in the, uh, whatever you want to call it, supernatural, spirit realm. Uh, Paranormal, demons, angels. I mean, mm -hmm. I've talked to people yeah. that, that don't believe in demons and angels, but they believe in God. Um, or they don't believe I'm gonna, in God. I'm going to say demons, that I probably fell in that. I probably fell into that category before. And, and I, don't, I don't really know how, if you haven't seen it, except for it's all through the Bible. So if you say you believe the Bible, that's the part that always blows my mind is when I read the Bible now and I see these stories, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's what happened to us. So I don't know if like before we just read it and think that part, I don't I don't know how. It, it's, I, well, I'll tell you, when I'm, in, early on in my Catholic career as a young child and you have to go to, to catechism school and, you know, um, Bible school, they call it Bible school. Uh, kind of a thing. They didn't tell you. They told you specific. This is the story of Adam. And, this is the story of Noah's Ark. This is the story of this. They don't expand upon anything past that. And if you ask any questions, kind of go, well, what about this or what about that? They go, well, it, we're just going to talk about this. 
Yeah. In well, my, and, you know, in I, my I, experience, and that's not saying that's happening right. everywhere, but I'm saying. No, and that's true. And I have kids that are in Christian schools up and down the East Coast that have experienced this. I mean, they're all from Haiti. And they tell me that whenever they ask their teachers, their teachers don't know how to handle it. And I wouldn't have known how to handle it either before right. I actually. I mean, I had to dig into it. And I'm going to be real honest with you. And I, I share about this in the Choir of Angels book that when I had to look into what to do and I started Googling, you know, how do you cast out demons or how do you deal with demonic forces? The, most of the people that come up look really weird. <laughs> and I was they like, do. I don't want to I don't want to be that person. And, and the have- one person, the one person that I finally found that uh, and it was very interesting because we were actually supposed to open for her was this 93 year old lady. Her name is Marilyn Hickey. And I came across her. She had this television show and her earrings matched and her, she had on cute shoes and her outfit was cute. And I was like, Hmm, maybe I can listen to her. And that's where I started uh, realizing what the Bible teaches about it. And the Bible does talk about this and here's the steps and here's how you have to do it. Uh, But it's almost like the people that are in the, how to get rid of demons world are really strange. <coughs> is that is that mean to say? It is not because I think it um well I think it takes a certain type of a person to does that on a consistent basis because of who and what they deal with in regard yeah. to that. I think the most important thing is to remember to open the door. Yeah. As you're casting them out. <laughs> <clears throat> but yes, I do I do I'll agree. I'll never but, forget that. And actually all of the choir every time we uh it was in Gainesville, Georgia. And anytime we drive back by there, they're like, look, Mommy Linda, that's where you forgot to open the door. Yeah, open the oh, door. Whatever. Uh, but so, yes, I, I, laugh about it. I do agree that uh, that uh, it's a different group of individuals. And, you know, it's just it, it, it's similar to um, there are certain individuals that can't be cops. There are certain individuals that can't be firefighters. There are certain individuals that can't be a doctor or a nurse um, or an EMT or a paramedic. And at least from my realm of that profession, because they just thought, no, that's just not me. I can't do that. And there's others. You know, I, I, I was on a chase one time going after somebody, and because I hadn't eaten, I was going 100 miles an hour going after this guy, drinking a cup of coffee and eating a burrito because I was hungry, which isn't always necessary. But you know what I mean? Somebody may think I was weird because of that. So... Um, well, the Bible does talk about how we each are given certain gifts, right? Some of us have the gifts of healing. Some of us have the gifts of prophecy, yeah. administration, and that, you know, it, the Bible talks about how we can't all be an ear. We can't all be an eye and that it takes all parts of the body to work together to, work. to be able to be whole. And we are the, we are, we are the protectors of the sheep or the sheep herder. That's why they call cops sheep herders. <clears throat> anyway, um, as long as my voice holds out here. Let's talk about Love Him, Love Them in your books, uh, several books, please. And, yes, we uh, have. Get in touch with you. We, we have several books. We have Love Him, Love Them, which is a 16-week <laughs> Bible study that basically teaches you how to love him and love them. I mean, the bottom line is this. God is going to continue to put people in your life, or I call them thems. He's going to continue to put thems in your life that if you don't love him, you can't love them. I mean, that's just the way it works. So it takes the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to be able to love them. The Choir of Angels book, it picks up from where we left the embassy in Haiti 
and it walks you all the way through the tour. Several of the stories that I've shared with you are in there. It, talk, it, it shows you uh, our kids getting off the plane here in America. And then it talks about the instances that we had when I had no idea what to do with them. And then it starts to tell you as my, as my faith increased and as the answers started to come to me, how I was then able to deal with the demonic forces and learn how to fight back. And so the, I, I, every time I sign the book, I just, my, my signature always is, I, my prayer is that your faith is increased as much in reading these stories as my faith was increased in living those stories out. Uh, so it's a really phenomenal book. It's um, just tells the truth of what happened on that choir tour. And you get to live the life through uh, a lot of the miracles that happened. Um, that's what that's what started taking place once we were able to get the demonic forces out was miracle after miracle after miracle to the point that we I think I told you in the beginning, we now have a show called Miracles with Mommy Linda um, and the miracles just continue. So Choir of Angels is uh, I don't know anybody that's gotten the book that hasn't read it in one or two sittings. Um, that's usually the phone call I get back was once I started, I couldn't put it down because I had to know what was going to happen next. Um, so it's a, without trying to be a cliffhanger, it is a cliffhanger because every chapter you're like, oh my gosh, now what's going to happen? Uh, which is kind of the way I felt when I was on the road, right? Now what in the world is going to happen? Because uh, it was it was just an unbelievable experience. And you have a website, correct? Yes, lovehimlovethem.org. Um, and that also tells about, uh, I, I shared with you about our Christmas ornaments. That has our Christmas ornaments on it, our jewelry, um, all of the products that we have. You can purchase the books on the on the website. And, the, and then it also talks about, we, you know, we also work here in America. Um, everything that we do here in America started around our dining room table. And most everything that we do, again, starts because I was mad about something. And I mentioned to you our Thanksgiving that we'll be doing. That again was the very first year that I had all five kids. I cooked for five days for Thanksgiving and they sat down and ate it in five minutes and they got up from the table. Always happens that way. Yeah. Well, that didn't make mommy Linda very happy. So I got to go boxes and I put all the leftovers into go boxes and I called everybody back down and we jumped in that minivan and we rode around our community until we found people who were obviously not celebrating a traditional Thanksgiving. That first year we handed out 11 plates and here we are 15 years later. And this year we will serve 5,000 homeless and homebound. And so uh, if you if your family is looking for a way to help with that, if you're here uh, anywhere in the state of Georgia or South Carolina, you can come and help us deliver. Or if you want to sponsor that event, you can do that. And then for Christmas, we have uh, an amazing night of hope. And that night is for children who have a parent in jail. And obviously I raised five children who had a parent incarcerated. And so I know a little bit about what that's like. And so last year we had this, this year we will have 200 children. So if your church or organization or office is looking for an angel that you need to supply uh, a gift, we'll have 200 children. And that night is amazing. We have live entertainment. We have the guardian families that come in. Uh, we'll have dinner. They'll get the gifts. And then we stand up at the end of that night of hope and we say, to the guardian families, because again, we were a guardian family. And we say, what do you need to make this child's life a success? Whatever it is, you we're that here question. to give it to you. That's good. Yeah, I asked you know, that question. Do you, need, do you need your GED? Do you need a, a car so you can get to your job? 
Do you need a bigger house? You know, last year, one of the ladies, her husband had been carted off to jail in the middle of renovating their kitchen. So her, her kitchen floor was gone, right? She was like, I need my kitchen floor fixed. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's a washing machine, sometimes it's a dryer, sometimes it's just whatever. And from all of the volunteers that are there, we pull together between that and the sponsors. Uh, one girl, it was she wanted to get her uh, CNA license. So we we sponsored her for that. Just whatever it is. Um, very cool. And that night of hope is really powerful. Very, very cool. See, you, your amazing journey took you through a wide variety and diverse set of experiences that brought you to a point in life that you uh you've created an environment for people to move forward in life in a very positive way and i appreciate that thank you very much for coming on the show i really appreciated uh, meeting you I'm, I'm gonna have to reach out to noelle and tell her how much i appreciate it and uh for connecting us and uh, to bringing you here thank you i had a lot of fun you know it it's well uh, you wait to my last question <laughs> this is one more thing before you go um People sometimes get scared at that one, <laughs> but it's really simple. You have any words of wisdom for any for our listeners and our viewers out there that you would like to share? Absolutely. So, if if you are in a place today where you don't have that joy, and you are depressed, or your life seems hopeless, I just want to encourage you: go do something for someone else, because the real way to get joy is to put Jesus first, others next the j the j o and then yourself last so that is even biblical but i am but to deny ourselves and take up our cross and, and and follow him i just want to encourage you just go do one thing nice even if it's going over to your neighbor and knocking on the door and seeing if you can help them uh if it's going and cutting someone's grass because if you if you are down the best way to become lifted up is to go help somebody else and that's my word of wisdom Profound words of wisdom. I, uh, I'm grateful that you uh, shared those. That's a profound words of wisdom. Just reach out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people forget. Sometimes we just forget to reach a hand out or to uh, knock on a door. Right. I, and again, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your journey, sharing your wisdom, sharing your experiences. And uh, I look forward to maybe having another conversation down the road to see how much more you have contributed. So thank you very much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you again. It was a great time. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.